0: The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi, folks. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast, all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out Anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out Anchor.fm.
1: Come with me.
0: To the alchemical tech revolution and I am your host Wayne McRoy. Good evening everyone tonight. We're going to take a look at the language of symbology. We're going to do a primer on the language of symbology here. So tonight we'll be looking primarily in a book named Sacred Symbology or An Inquiry into the Principles of Interpretation of the Prophetic Symbols with explanatory observations on the symbolic figures and exhibitions of the sacred scriptures generally by one Mr. John Mills. And this was published in Edinburgh by John Stone and Hunter in 1853, folks. So this is an oldie but goodie, and it will explain some of the different interpretations of symbology, and it will also answer some questions as to the nature of how the language of symbology works. Why is it that some people get it and some people don't? Well, this will explain exactly why that is. So tonight we're going to explore that avenue of thought, and we're going to look primarily, like I said, in this work, and I will offer my own opinions and observations throughout the whole thing here. But I found this to be a very interesting book. This one's kind of hard to find. Uh, It's not... Like your run-of-the-mill book that you, you would find on a regular basis here, for most people. You have to dig a little to find stuff like this. This is usually the stuff that's way in the back of the library, on a bottom shelf, on a dusty corner somewhere. And, you know, the same could be said about <laughs> the parts of the internet where you would find this. It's not something you're going to just happen across. You'd have to search these things out. So... When you find them, though, there's always some very interesting things that come about when you read these. Uh, It gives you a better understanding of how many of these ideas operate, because it's hard to find any really good volumes on this stuff in the modern era. Uh, So with that being the case, I always try to find some of these little gems that are hidden away, tucked away, to share on the air here because not many people have probably ever heard of a book like this, nor will they hear of a book like this. And some of the insights you could get from it are very important. So let's get into the reading here. Observations on the Opinions of Various Writers Respecting the Interpretation of Prophetic Symbols It having been stated in the introductory chapter that there is wanting a more definite mode of symbolic exegesis. Uh, than any that has yet been proposed, it will be proper to examine some of the authors who have more recently written on sacred prophecy. And it shall appear that writers who have obtained general approbation in this department are not agreed, respecting the meaning of the symbols, and that none of them have proposed any systematic method for their interpretation. It may then be inferred that the statement thus made is not without foundation." George Stanley Faber, B.D., in his dissertation on the prophecies, volume 1, page 89, says, Prophecy reveals futurity through the medium of palpable symbols. These symbols, since it relates both to things temporal and to things spiritual, must be divided into two grand classes, the one typifying temporal and the other spiritual objects i quote, I'm going to pause for a second there. So you see, a key understanding to the interpretation of symbols, according to this George Stanley Faber, is to understand that they come in two different classes. One typifies something temporal or temporary, material, and the other one represents spiritual, the spiritual concept here. And he refers to these as objects. So the symbol itself could represent a temporal physical object or a spiritual type of object. Something a little more permanent, something with a slightly different meaning than what the physical interpretation would be. So this is where it gets a little convoluted for some people because when you see these symbols represented places, they don't just have one inherent meaning. Now, it depends upon the context in which the symbol is presented, along with the intent behind the presentation of the symbol. This is all key to how you interpret the symbol. And this is what makes the language of symbology complicated for a lot of people. It's not something that you simply just pick up, or you could pick up a book and say, okay, this symbol means this, this symbol means that. Yes, there are works like that out there. There are books out there that do define certain symbols meaning certain things but there's a depth of meaning within all of these different symbols they have multiple meanings multi-layered meanings depending on the context in which they're presented and it gets to be a skill that you you need practice to pick up in looking at the symbols it's almost like a form of art being able to interpret symbols you see because there's not just one correct interpretation of the symbol, although a lot of people would like it laid out in black and white on the page. This symbol means this, period. That's not how symbology works. And that's where we run into some trouble with it because, on the surface level, most people won't understand a lot of times the context in which the symbol is being used unless they are familiar with what it's representing. But let's continue reading here. So we could maybe, you know, garner a little bit more understanding as to what is being presented here as far as the language of symbols or symbolism, symbology as I like to call it. It may be inferred that in the opinion of this writer, a marked distinction exists between symbols which represent temporal things and those which represent spiritual things. But such is not the case, for on the next page he says, quote, the symbolical heaven, which interpreted temporally, signifies the whole body politic, end quote, And presently after, adds, quote, the symbolic heaven, when interpreted spiritually, signifies the whole body of the church militant, considered as including both Christ, its head, and all the members of his mystical body, end quote. According to this definition, the symbols are not of two classes, the one relating to temporal things, the other to spiritual, but the same symbols relate sometimes to one and sometimes to the other of these different kinds of subjects. Going to pause for a second there, folks. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You see, these symbols could convey many different meanings, and it's the same symbol, but it depends on the context in which it's being used or looked at. And this is the thing where it becomes kind of an art form to be able to interpret symbols. It's kind of like the same thing that goes with dream interpretation. There's no one correct analysis for what a dream means either. It's the same kind of thing. It's, it's a symbolic language of sorts. And it requires a little bit of practice and a little bit of skill. And the big thing that it leans upon heavily is intuition. Intuition. And that's where most people aren't keyed in. It's about intuition. It's this intuitive knowledge of the symbol being able to suss out exactly what is the intention in the symbol and what context is the symbol being used in, in order to uh, find the appropriate meaning that's being represented by it. And if you can do that and read the symbol, then you have a leg up, so to say, on other people uh, who are affected by symbols on an on a subconscious level, and they don't understand the exact meaning or purpose behind them, but it still will affect them anyway. This is another thing that hits upon something archetypal in the human soul, the human psyche. It will affect you in a way, and you may not be consciously aware that this symbol is affecting you in that way, but it most certainly is. It happens on this unconscious level, And it will manifest subconsciously and at some point alter your conscious behavior or your conscious way of thinking. So when we see different symbols out there being used, even if we don't understand the exact meaning behind them, they have a distinct effect upon our behavior. And this is something that's hugely important, that's overlooked by people. And it's the interpretation of these symbols that becomes a type of an art form, so to say here. So if you get really skillful at intuitively being able to understand what's being inferred by the symbol, uh, then you have a bit more knowledge about messages being conveyed through the symbol than the average person does. So it's important to understand the nuance of the symbol, and it's important to understand what the multiple levels of meaning of the symbol are. That's why I, I would highly recommend, if you do find certain books that... Say, such and such symbol means such and such thing. Okay, pick those up, read them. It'll give you a base look at uh, what some of the interpretations can be for various symbols, what their basic meanings are. But sometimes it's much deeper than that, because all these symbols carry the weight of having extra meaning behind them, underlying meaning, levels of interpretation that could be garnered. So it's important to pick up some of these different works that say, Yeah, we're going to give you this uh, lesson on symbols and what they mean. So this symbol stands for this. Well, that's one one correct interpretation, but it goes much deeper than that. Sometimes it conveys whole ideas inherent in one symbol, not just one specific thing, per se. The symbol doesn't represent a thing. It represents an entire concept. But let's continue reading on here. That this is the true state of the case will plainly appear from the following investigations. Let it not be supposed that improper advantage is taken of this want of precision in our author, as all that is intended by this notice of it is to show the necessity that exists for the recognition of some definite principles of symbolic exegesis. Without this, the most careful writer is liable to be involved in difficulty. That Mr. Faber entertained an idea of a systematic order in the use of symbols, we shall presently see, and it will also appear that, in consequence of entertaining this idea a priori, from scientific considerations as viewed apart from the simple appearance of natural objects, his conclusions became involved and mystified." Whatever of systematic arrangement may be supported to exist, it will be admitted that no system ought to be adopted till its nature has been understood and approved. As proof of the confusion into which Mr. Faber was led by the views he had taken of systematic arrangement, the following assertions made by him may be noticed. He says, number one, first, quote, And here it may be observed that every division of these two parallel classes has a kind of leading symbol which comprehends and is connected with a variety of other symbols belonging to the division of which this is the head. Thus the symbolical heaven comprehends the sun, the moon, and the stars, and thus the symbolical earth comprehends the seas, the rivers, the islands, and mountains the several divisions of the two parallel classes shall be treated of in their order, end quote. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So essentially, what he's doing here is he's taking these symbols, and they could represent something temporal or physical here, or they could represent something spiritual or eternal elsewhere, the as-above-so-below idea. He's kind of taking these hermetic axioms and put them together as, you know, possible interpretations of a symbol and we can see this it's once again the idea of the reflection in the mirror darkly you see how we could interpret some of these things when we see a symbol it may represent some physical object or thing like say the sun that's a popular symbol in much of symbology right the sun it's a symbol in and of itself but there are many other symbols that represent the sun Well, look at all the depth of meaning that could be found in the sun symbolism. And that's the whole point here. If you look at it as just the physical object, the sun, okay, yes, the symbol represents that. But that's only the base meaning. That's the cover story. And there's so much nuance and meaning that lies behind that symbol that reaches far beyond just that physical object that it represents. This is what we're talking about here. So... Although you may see, um, you know, a symbol that represents the sun, well, it's not just representing that physical object in the sky that we see. There's a symbolic meaning underlying it, a spiritual meaning underlying it, that has a depth of interpretation. You see, this is the kind of thing that's being inferred here. So anyway, he's talking about the symbolical heaven. There's a physical representation of this, and there's a spiritual representation, the temporal, or the spiritual as he calls it. So he says here, once again, quote, the symbolical heaven, when interpreted temporally, signifies the whole body politic. As such, it comprehends the sun or the sovereign power, wherever it is lodged, the moon or the people, which is the allegorical wife of the sovereign power, and the stars or princes and nobles of the realm, end quote. I'm going to pause for a second there. So do you see how he interpreted this idea of the symbol of the sun, the moon, and the stars, to the temporal body politic. You see what he's done there? And do you understand how the nuance, the allegory, can be interpreted with these things? So when you see the symbols of these uh, astrological things in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars it could represent something other than just those physical objects. And those physical objects that we see themselves are highly symbolic in and of themselves. So that's why when there's things happening in the heavens, it has a definitive influence here on Earth. Because once again, it infers this idea of as above, so below that's inherent in the symbolical workings of things. And it also has that microcosmic effect from the macrocosmic effect you see and thus these important events that we see in the sky they have much deeper symbolical meaning behind them so for instance election day november 8th for the first time i think ever from what they're saying we're going to have a lunar eclipse on the day of an election this is hugely important to anybody that studies astrology Okay, this needs to not be overlooked. This is an important idea. So we have this lunar eclipse that's happening on the day of an election. Now, some people might think, well, that's all nonsense. Well, I got news for you. It's not nonsense. There's definitive natural energies that are influenced by the alignment of the stars, the moon, the sun, these things in the sky. And these symbols and they're not just symbols, I mean these physical objects, but they, they are symbols in the spiritual sense, and this is where the importance lies, because we have this tie. This reflection of the physical, you see, in the spiritual, in through the mirror darkly, it has a profound effect on the behavior of humanity. This is a known commodity. I mean, just look at the, the concept of the full moon. Lunacy was named lunacy, Because of the moon. I mean, there's this association with the moon. So, always mental health and the cycles of the stars and the sun and the moon, all these things have been intricately tied together. And there's a reason for that. And it's it's a spiritual reason that underlies the symbol of the actual physical object itself. So, when we look at this eclipse is happening on an election day, think about some of the implications that could be made there. If you want to step away from, you know, our physical scientific paradigm that we live in here and look at it from a philosophical or spiritual standpoint, what kind of an influence can this have on the events happening in the world? Think about that, because the way they present elections to us, these are supposed to be important events where we decide the future fate of our country and therefore the world because, you know, everything's all interrelated. So with that being the case, there's this inference made that uh, the outcome of this election can be very important and the timing of the election aligns with this important astrological event or astronomical event. Astrology, astronomy, we, we could use these terms kind of interchangeably because up until The modern era, astrology was astronomy and vice versa. But then we were taught by our modern scientific paradigm not to think in those ways anymore. And it's a mistake to not think in terms of the astrological because these are very real influences that these things have on our world and a lot of it ties back to this symbolic language, the language of symbology that we're talking about here. Because the symbol... Remember, when I opened up the show, what I said, the symbol has this effect on the mind. You see, it's an archetypal thing that we inherently understand. We can't quite explain why, but we understand it. It's in there. This has been described as genetic memory or epigenetic memory by scientists. It's been described as the Akashic Record or ancestral memory by people in the occult or the the various paths thereof. the the medicine men and things like that uh, through the different tribal traditions and things like that as well. So it's a known commodity there, but it's the symbol. It has this effect on the human psyche. And we see these things in the sky, these larger-than-life objects in the sky, the moon, the stars, the sun, these things that dictate the cycles of time here on Earth. And we have this inherent intuition that without those energies things would not happen the way they do in this world and that's absolutely provable even on a scientific level if the sun wasn't there (laughs) there would be no life on earth think about that there there is an effect that these symbols these representations of other things and a lot of times symbols they represent some natural force or natural energetic principle, okay? And this is the thing that uh, cues into mythology as well. Sometimes the symbol is represented as a god. See, it represents some force of nature or some inherent energy in the natural order. So they name it. They give it a personification and it becomes a symbol you see, and it has a very real effect on the human mind. These are the kinds of things that have been done here with symbology. It's a hugely important language that's often overlooked and seldom understood, and it's because it has this very subjective interpretation, this very loose kind of interpretation. Now, there are certain attributes that are largely associated with certain symbols, and they may be correct as a basic overview of what the symbol means but the the depth of meaning is where people sometimes lose the context of what's being communicated and this is why we need to look at these things and try to try to analyze them in this way is this representing first of all number 1 the temporal physical object or is it representing number 2 some spiritual principle associated with that object this is where the interpretation of symbology gets a little bit difficult for people. Because like I said, it's something that uh, it requires practice. It requires a little bit of intuition. And it's kind of like a form of art. It's an art form to be able to interpret symbols, much like the interpretation of dreams, as I alluded to earlier. Same thing, it's not something everybody can do. And that's why some people get it, and some people don't, you see. So when we see something communicated through symbolism, or through symbology, some people pick up on the allegory immediately and understand the meaning being conveyed there. And other people just go, meh, and walk away from it because they just don't get it. Or, ah, that's over my head, or that's that's just stupid. Uh, That kind of thing. And they walk away from it. And that being the case, they're missing out on a huge portion of the meaning. And not only are they missing out on the meaning and walking away from it and thinking nothing of it, But the fact remains, it will influence their psyche in some way, shape, or form, because it's the archetype. It's there. It will affect them, even though they may not realize it, or even though they may slough it off as being nothing, or I I don't understand that, or I'm not interested in that it'll still affect them in some way, shape, or form. And that's the important thing, and that's why these dark occultists who run things in our world very much like to flaunt symbols in the face of everybody all the time, everywhere you look. You see? Because it will affect you on a level you may not understand or be consciously aware of, but it affects you. And oftentimes, depending on what the intention and the context of the symbol was when it was presented in this way, This will affect your behavior in ways that will sometimes benefit the person who utilized the symbol in that way. Thus, these dark occultists who run things will set these symbols out there into motion in society, and they will benefit from the usage of those symbols that will steer human behaviors in certain ways for them on an unconscious level. You see, it it absolutely works almost like the movie, They Live. You see, you see the symbol, and you may not think anything of it, but the underlying meaning is there. If you wear the sunglasses and you're able to interpret the meaning of the symbol or the context of the symbol, then you see the real message. It absolutely works in this kind of way, you see. So that's why it's important that we delve into these things. And this is just one interpretation here of two different ways you could look at the symbol does it represent first of all the physical object and if it does in what context second of all does it represent some spiritual association with the physical object and if so in what way and and this is how the layers of meaning could be kind of uh, just placed into the symbol through the act of intention and through the act of the context in which it's used in. So, that being the case, uh, we need to be more mindful of these things. But let's read on. Notwithstanding the great deference due to this learned writer, this opinion must be pronounced untenable. It cannot be shown that the moon is anywhere made to symbolize the people, nor does it appear that the people can be viewed as, quote, the allegorical wife of the sovereign, end quote. It will be recollected that there are only two places in the Bible where the moon is introduced as a symbol viz genesis thirty seven nine and revelation twelve one and In proof of the unsoundness of Mr. Faber's opinion, his remarks on the latter passage may now be noticed. He says, quote, "The woman is the Church of Christ." She is represented as being clothed with the sun to denote that her spiritual nakedness is clothed by the righteousness of Christ as standing upon the moon, which, like herself, is a symbol of the church to mark that she shines only with a borrowed light, being naturally a dark and opaque body. Quote. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. I don't know if I agree with Mr. Mills, the author of this book, who's quoting from this other gentleman here, this Mr. Faber, as it were. I don't know if Mr. Faber's totally wrong on this. This is just the thing. This is just one interpretation. Now, Mr. Mills here, the writer of this book, comes at this from a very Christian theological viewpoint and tries to stick very closely to the tenets of Christianity. Now, Somebody like myself who recognizes mystery school teachings here will immediately understand when Mr. Faber is talking here about how the church is represented because in the symbol of the sun and the moon here, standing on the moon, like herself, being the symbol of the church. This is all alluding back to Egyptian mythology, the story of osiris isis and horus and uh, so this is the same kind of thing and this is an interpretation that uh, has gone on through the mystery schools so when you see the sun and the moon well the sun generally will represent osiris the moon represents isis and uh, the sun represents the doctrine the moon represents the full body of initiates or the church in the egyptian mythos here so isis represents the church. Osiris represents the doctrine you see and this kind of thing so this is alluding to that so Mr. Faber has a little bit of maybe inside knowledge into some of the mystery teachings and it's not incorrect it's just one interpretation of the symbolism now this gentleman Mr. Mills who wrote this book probably has a contrary opinion by what it sounds like here but the, fr- the point here is neither one of these guys is incorrect. It's all about the context in which the symbols presented and the intention behind it, the intent and the context. That's the important thing in symbology. If you know the intent and the context, then you could get the gist of the symbol. If you know just one or the other, it makes it a little harder to pin it down. If you know neither, then you might completely miss the boat altogether on what the symbol is. So it's important to either understand first, the context, or second, the intention. So if you could know even one of those, you could have a better view as to what the symbol really means or what the meaning is that's being communicated with that symbol. And this is the thing. Symbols themselves are neutral. Okay, There's not an evil symbol out there, per se. All right, there's also not a good symbol out there. It's all in the use. It's all in the intent and the context. And this is why it's a difficult language to decipher for most people. Because you have to know at least one of those two attributes of the symbol, the context or the intention. And if you know both, all the better. If you know neither, then you're kind of taking a wild stab in the dark. So you have to look for clues that the symbol is used with in order to get to that knowledge of either context or intention so you have to look at other ways that it's being used other things around it the vehicle through which it's being conveyed to you you see so if you could find some other type of nuance within that conveyance in which it's being presented then you could arrive at a knowledge of either the intent or the context or both And this is what makes things a little convoluted with this. But here's the point, though. All right, what we're reading here in this book this Mr. Mills has his own opinion of symbolic interpretations. And like I said, this is why it's a difficult thing. And this Mr. Faber, who he's quoting from, has a very different viewpoint. And it's not that either one of them are particularly wrong. It's just what is the context that it's being presented in And what is the intention? And it seems to me that Mr. Faber's intention here was to allude back to the Egyptian mythos, to the mystery teachings of the sun and the moon, the sun being the doctrine, the moon being representing the church. And Mr. Mills here doesn't seem to see it that way. Perhaps he's not as familiar with mystery school teachings or language as this other gentleman is. So neither one's incorrect. It's all a matter of the perspective here. But let's read on and see what else Mr. Mills has to say here. This mode of interpretation is quite indefensible. If the woman be a symbol of the church, how is it possible that the moon on which she stands can also be a symbol of the same thing? It would seem, however, that Mr. Faber was embarrassed with his own theory, for in a subjoined note he tries to extricate himself by saying, quote, Bishop Newton supposes the moon here to mean the Jewish new moons and festivals, as well as the sublunary things, but I cannot find... That this interpretation at all tallies with the general analogy of symbolic language. When the sun means a temporal sovereign, the moon, as Sir Isaac Newton justly observes, and as I have stated in my chapter on symbols, is, quote, put for the body of the common people, considered as the king's wife. When the sun is Christ, the moon will in similar manner signify his mystical wife, the church. End quote. So once again, I'm going to pause for a second there. So once again, it sounds to me like this Mr. Faber doubled down, explaining himself as representing the mystery teachings or mystic Christianity here. He was probably likely a Rosicrucian by the sounds of this. And this other gentleman just didn't get it, this Mr. Mills, who's coming at it from a strictly Christian theological point of view. His interpretation is different. He doesn't think that these two things used together can represent the same thing, right? He, he's thinking that, okay, the woman and the moon, both of them conveyed together in this in this example, cannot possibly represent the same thing. Well, they do <laughs> with the proper in. in you know, interpretation here. When you know the source material, you understand immediately. And this guy doesn't seem to understand the source material. So he's thinking along different lines. So neither one of these guys is necessarily incorrect in their interpretation. It's just perhaps what was the original intention? Who put this symbol out there? and what was their intention behind it in the context, and it seems to me this Mr. Faber was probably closer to the mark, and he doubled down on that. He understood, Uh, so he he did try to uh, perhaps extricate himself from the argument a little bit by quoting this other source and saying he couldn't find where it aligns properly with the representation here, but At the same point, he doubled down on what he said, and he probably has the correct interpretation of this, to be honest, judging by, first of all, the intention, and second of all, the context. And so, even though it's multiple symbols representing the same thing, this is just driving the point home, you see. Because you could know directly from understanding that first the woman and second the moon represent the church, in this symbol as presented and the Sun represents God the Father or Christ in this representation and also represents the doctrine then you could understand where this comes from because all of this is derived directly from the Egyptian mysteries Osiris was represented by the Sun this was also the doctrine Isis was represented as a woman the, the female See, Osiris was the masculine, Isis was the feminine, the sun, the moon, both of them representing these polar opposites. Uh, So you have the sun and the moon, the the masculine, the feminine, the archetypes presented this way. This goes back to the Egyptian mythos. This guy knew it, and he knew that these symbols, these two separate things in the picture or the symbol here, they were representing the same concepts. They were tied together, and thus it revealed the source of the concept, which was the Egyptian mysteries, you see. So he understood, this is an an allegory representing the Egyptian mysteries, it represents these two things, and it could be translated in the Christian sense, for the Christian mystics, Christ and his church, you see. Christ Isis, so to say, if you want to go back to some of the the theological or theosophical teachings and the, the... you know, the, the Christian mystic teachings and things like that, they they actually, uh, you know, thought in these same types of terminologies. It's the allegorical context here, right? So you have Christ and his church represented by the sun and the moon, the masculine and the feminine, all right? Uh, so this meaning shouldn't be lost on anybody as far as, you know, understanding there. So we have the context and possibly the intention, so we could understand this t- harkens back to the ancient Egyptian mysteries, and therefore, it, you know, this symbol in and of itself represents this union of the, the church and the doctrine together, the alchemical wedding of sorts, the uh, the salvation of mankind, the uh, the birth of the new man, the Horus, the Horus risen, the new age, the the birth of a new age a new era so these are the interpretations that could be applied to the symbol being presented here and these guys didn't agree on it and this guy seems to staunchly disagree with that Mr. Faber that he's quoting from but let's continue reading here In the interpretation of symbols, regard must be had to the analogy between the symbol and the object symbolized. But we have no proof that analogies exist between systems or classes of objects used as symbols and classes of objects symbolized. And the incongruity, just noticed, shows that such a theory is untenable. Admitting that the moon may represent a wife... It would follow that, if this one signification only were attached to it, the figure would then have a stereotyped meaning. But, as will be hereafter shown, the idea of applying a symbol invariably and alone to the same denomination of objects, and in precisely the same sense, is inconsistent with the true principles of symbolic interpretation." Those principles are not to be sought in any fancied analogy between the different objects used as symbols, nor in their connection or relation with each other, but in the use made of them in the word of God. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So he's arguing for using the Bible or the word of God as the context for the symbol. Now, this may not always apply because, like I said, It's always about the intention and the context. Now, if it's a Christian person who's using the symbol, then yes, probably the biblical interpretation is the way to measure the symbol or to measure against the symbol. But If you don't know where the symbolic meaning is coming from, you can't always apply the biblical scripture to the symbol to understand the intent behind it or the context in which it's being used. Because symbols can be used and they can be misused, you see. And in the modern world we live in, they are often misused. And this guy is assuming that symbols can only be used in maybe positive ways. So... At any rate, (laughs) you can see here they they disagree on interpretation. This guy seems to want to strictly go back to biblical interpretation, theological interpretation, these kind of things, and the Mr. Faber that he's quoting from. This guy seems to understand some of the mystery teachings, and will go back to the context used by the secret society groups or these various mystery schools to interpret the symbol that way. Now, neither one's incorrect, per se, but it it all has to do with what's the intention in the symbol once again it falls back on intention so if the intention is good and depending upon the context of how it's being used and who is using the symbol you could sometimes maybe garner another understanding of the symbol itself by based upon who's using it now if it's some church authority figure or something then yes maybe chances are they will be looking at the biblical interpretation of the symbol thereof and using that as the context and the intention but if it's not coming from that source then it's it's a misstep to judge the same symbol that way. Because the symbol, even though it may be the same symbol, could be used in another way or have another intention or context behind it. And that's what's being done here. So these guys are just disagreeing on the context. But let's read on here. The untenableness of this theory as adopted by Mr. Faber will be yet more obvious from a view of the incongruities in the following paragraph. And he says, quote, on the other hand, the symbolic heaven, when interpreted spiritually, signifies the whole body of the church militant, considered as including Christ, its head, and all the members of his mystical body. In this case, the sun will represent our Lord, the moon, his allegorical consort, the church, and the stars, the pastors and teachers, end quote. Gonna pause for a moment there, folks. So this guy, this Mr. Faber, is definitely coming at this from the mystery school perspective. Okay, this is absolutely what they teach. It goes back to the Assyrian cycle once again. The Osiris mysteries, the, the Egyptian mysteries. These are the best, I guess, uh, understood of the mystery teachings as far as the context of the mythologies involved. But this is absolutely stating the same things, Okay. So we see here, and even if you look in the biblical interpretation and biblical language, we see Christ refers to his church as the bride of Christ, right? Well, this is all symbolic of the alchemical wedding. Uh, So, you know, with that being the case, it's all representing the same ideas, regardless of what tact you're taking at it. But the, the difference here is the context and intention. So this guy clearly understands that what's being said here is the mystery school connotation involved here. So that being the case, he sees the stars as the pastors and teachers. This would be the full body of initiates. This would be Horus, the, the representation of Horus in the old Egyptian mythology. So you have Osiris, Isis, and Horus, right? So Osiris being the doctrine... Or the sun, Isis being the church, or the moon, and the and Horus being the full body of initiates, or the pastors, the teachers, the uh, how should we call, what the the thousand points of light. That's what this is alluding to the stars. You see, he's saying the stars are the teachers and the pastors, those people who have taken special a special place in the the teaching here in the the putting forth of the doctrine to the church these are the stars the thousand points of light where do you think that idea comes from the thousand points of light this all reflects back upon these mystery school teachings this faber gentleman absolutely understood this and knew what these symbols represented it sounds to me like this mr mills wasn't there yet he didn't quite get this interpretation and so he's arguing theological concerns here and he's arguing that this guy's interpretations are untenable just because he doesn't understand them because he's looking at it strictly in the context of the bible or the biblical context of the use of the symbols so he's saying this guy's incorrect but that's not necessarily the case and that's that's the whole key here Just because you may interpret a symbol differently than somebody else doesn't mean they're incorrect or you're incorrect. You could both be correct as far as what the symbol can represent, you see. But what does it represent? And that's what we're trying to analyze here. That's why it's important to understand the intention and or the context. And if you do that, then you have a better understanding of the symbol itself. But let's read on here. Now, if the sun, moon, and stars are to be viewed as a system of symbols, the moon will accompany a more important position than the stars. But if the moon represent the church and the stars represent the pastors and teachers, then will the less have rule over the greater. Or, in other words, the moon will be under subjugation to the stars. The symbology of the Bible it must not be forgotten, is founded on those analogies which are apparent in the common conceptions of man. When the heavenly bodies are mentioned, either literally or figuratively, in the word of God, the moon takes the precedence of the stars. Nor can it be supposed, although science has shown the stars to be of a greater magnitude than the moon, that the former would therefore be superior to the latter in the symbolic representation." The assumption that the people constitute the allegorical wife of the sovereign power is without foundation. If the moon were to be viewed as the allegorical wife of the sun, the moon would then, where the sun represented the king, as a matter of course represent the queen consort, rather than the subjects of the king, The idea of the people who are governed by a sovereign being, the allegorical wife of the sovereign, is utterly at variance not only with all the facts and circumstances of the case, but also with the general sentiments held either by princes or subjects. Thus, it is evident that such a system of interpretation not only fails to furnish any correct data, by which the meaning of the symbols may be understood, but also tends greatly to confuse the subject. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. Uh, You know, I find myself strongly disagreeing with Mr. Mills here, but maybe that's because I understand the context and the intention of what has been presented with this symbol. You see, and he clearly doesn't get it. And that's the whole point here. Some people could interpret something totally differently than what it really means and become hugely offended by it. And so much of that has happened with these various secret society groups as well. Now, it's not to say there aren't those that uh, have inculcated themselves in positions of powers through these secret society groups and have taken and misused these symbolic meanings in some way. That has certainly been done. But the point here is that that symbolic meaning in and of, it of itself is not evil or malicious in some way. See, that's the thing here. So it's this guy's misunderstanding of it that, uh, you know, is where he's losing the point here. Now, could this symbol be used or this this uh, description that they're they're giving here as the example of the symbols? Could it be misused in a certain way? Well, absolutely it can but uh, i don't see how mr faber's interpretation of the symbol is incorrect in any way shape or form he's spot on with the things that i know about the mystery teachings and you know he essentially in and of himself understood what was being conveyed here whereas mr mills the author of this book that's quoting mr farber and you know claiming that mr mr faber is way off base here he clearly doesn't understand the symbolic meaning, the context that the mystery teachings would put this stuff in, or the allegory that it represents. So he's becoming hugely offended, even though the the symbol itself is not representing a literal interpretation of Christian values here. It's an allegorizing of the old Egyptian mysteries in a Christian context. See, it's it's taking the symbol and moving it into a different frame of view, but it's using this symbol in the same original intention of the symbol, and it's just substituting in these Christian icons in its place. All right? So when you understand that, then you don't have to become offended by it. Right? It's just trying to convey the idea to the particular audience here. So the audience would largely be Christian people who understand Christian theology. Well, they're taking the ideas that were communicated through the Egyptian mysteries and they're just changing up the what the iconography looks like and adapting it to the Christian mindset here so people could better understand what the nature of the symbolic meaning is behind it. And this becomes problematic for some people, especially when they have conflicting views as to what certain things should represent. Now, it may not be what this guy thinks is the truth behind the symbols, and it may not be what this guy, Mr. Faber, thinks that is the truth behind the symbols either. They could both be wrong about it. But it seems to me, just based upon the things I know, the interpretation given by Mr. Faber is probably the correct one of what's represented by this symbol. But Mr. Mills has his opposing viewpoints, and he's entitled to those. And maybe he's misinterpreting the symbol, and that's why he's so upset about it. Because, you see, that's another thing. If we see a symbol, and we have some kind of an inkling that perhaps it's being misused against us in some way, we become highly offended or upset, agitated by that symbol, and we don't know why, you see. And I think that's what happened here to Mr. Mills. This representation, how this symbolic representation was being presented to him, well, it kind of irked him, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It could, because he didn't fully understand what's going on. So he tried to apply his knowledge to it, and he was missing the context, you see. So because he was missing the context he was applying perhaps a different type of intention to it or inferring a different type of intention to it. And we we need to be careful of this because like I said, a lot of times, uh, especially like through these secret society groups and stuff like that, a lot of times they put some of these symbols out there or they have some of these symbols which, you know, show up over and over again and people get all up in arms about them because they misinterpret what perhaps the intention behind them is and or the context. And that's the whole thing because they could have good meaning and good use or they could have bad meaning and bad me- bad use, right? And we don't always know. But what we do know in the modern era is oftentimes when we see these types of symbols around that show up with different uh, massive world-changing events and things like that, We have come to the conclusion that oftentimes these symbols have been misused. And we recognize the misuse of them. So anytime we see the symbol, then we think there's something nefarious going on with it. Perfect example of this, the number 33, right? How many people just get all up in arms when they see the numbers like 33, 22, 11 show up in all these different ways? Well, it's not necessarily a bad thing is it this this number or what this number represents the symbol but it's how it's been misused and how we've recognized its misuse on a massive scale now it's become kind of a, a you know a nefarious thing in and of itself for us so every time we see it people go nuts and that may not be the original intention of the use of that symbol in a certain way in the context that's why it's important to understand intent and context with these things and sometimes we can infer it and sometimes we can't like i said it's kind of an art form it requires a bit of intuition not everybody's good at it and it requires a lot of practice if you want to get better at it you need to practice at it so it it comes down to discerning the intent and or the context and if you could discern either or both of those, then you could have a better clue as to what's being represented by the symbol. Otherwise, you might be totally off base and then become somehow irked or offended by the symbol. And we see a lot of that going on in society today because of the, the heavy misuse of symbols in many ways. So now all the associations made with a certain symbol become negative in connotation for many people, don't they? Uh, and we see how Many of these things have been hijacked by people with ill will or by people who maybe don't understand fully how the misuse of these symbols has affected the world mind. Uh, and I'll use, for example, the rainbow, the symbol of the rainbow. Okay, what comes to mind immediately when I say rainbow? Well, you're probably thinking about the whole LGBTQ, all of these different. Associations that go with that, and how they've hijacked this symbol, and now it has this connotation attached to it. And for some people, it's a positive connotation, and for some people, it's a highly negative connotation, you see. And it's all about what was the intention behind it, because we understand the context in which it's being used, don't we? Because we understand the context. They want to use it as a symbol that represents LGBTQ. Now, if you have some type of moral views that are opposed to that, this is a highly negative symbol to you, and it's a misuse of the symbol because if you look at it from the Christian point of view here, Christian theological point of view. The rainbow was a symbol that was given by God to promise he would never destroy the world by a flood again. So this was a a promise of God. This was a highly positive holy symbol, you see. And now it's been kind of coerced and adopted by this group that represents in the Christian theological viewpoint an abomination to the natural order or to God, and it's been used in that way. Now, that's from the Christian perspective. Now, if you look at the perspective of somebody who supports this LGBTQ community and its use of the rainbow symbol, well, they see rainbow as representing diversity and how it's okay, how all these different colors of the rainbow are united. They're one thing. They could all be one unified thing, and it's all good, and it's a positive vibrant symbol it represents color and variety you see so it represents these positive attributes in their their mind so it's all about what's the intention behind the symbol when it comes to this because we understand the context okay and we could attribute the intent depending on our own personal biases And maybe that's not what the intent was. I think this has to be broken down on an individual basis. Who exactly decided to inculcate this symbol in the media they use? Who's the individual who decided, hey, let's slap a rainbow on this. This would be a good idea. What was their intention when they did that? And this is the important part, and this needs to be decided on an individual basis. So who was the original person that decided that the LGBTQ crowd was going to be represented by the rainbow symbol? I don't know. I don't know what their intention was, you see. Now if it was some kind of a social engineer with some uh, maybe kind of eugenics type background who uh, had shady intentions for the whole thing and is just looking for depopulation of the world through the use of the promotion of homosexuality and all of these various other factors that go along with that, then maybe they had some nefarious intent in hijacking that symbol in that way. But I don't know who was the original one that intended that. That's the whole point here. Or maybe it was somebody that just wanted to try to present it with a positive type of a light. So they decided, let's take this symbol because it's colorful, it's vibrant, it represents unity of all these differing things, of all this variety, the unity of variety, and acceptance. So maybe they, adop- they they adopted the symbol because of that and applied it. But it's all about the original intent. Now it has since been weaponized in a way to represent things that have turned very negative in recent years. So I think we could trace back maybe the intent to it as being placed there by somebody with ill will intended within it. It would seem that way, because does not the Bible tell us that you could know a tree by its fruits? Well, what are the fruits of this organized LGBTQ movement? What do we see? It's, it's uh, sowing chaos and destruction through society right now. Right? And that's not to say these people are bad people they, or anything like that. It's just that this movement has taken on a life of its own, you see. And these weirdos they have representing those people out there in the public forums and stuff, they are probably the extreme fringe groups that don't represent the bulk of what these people are all about. And they've really put a lot of negative light on things. And that's what's happened here. And and that's a lot of the problem, wherein people are maybe misinterpreting the intent of the entire group of them based upon what these select few that have gotten the attention of the world stage here and the viewpoint of the world stage who've hijacked the symbol uh, for a negative use and we lump them all together in the same category and that's not fair to do. By and large there's a very small group that's extremely vocal and keeps making more and more ridiculous demands of society to kowtow to a lot of the nonsense that's involved with it. And that may not be the opinions of exactly what uh, most of the people that fall in this category want. But these are the ones that are the vocal ones that represent them in the public. And they cause all kinds of problems for them. So uh, you see here how symbology, how, how hugely important it is, just based upon those examples and upon the intent and the context. So... That being the case, we could see what's been done with this. And symbols could be used in a lot of positive ways too, but uh, we see here this is a perfect example of what happens when people disagree on what the meaning of a symbol is. And they may not be analyzing it quite in the way that we are here tonight, basing it upon intention and context. And I think that's what happened here in this example given in this book. So I'm going to read on here and we'll, we'll go from there. As further proof of the impropriety of this method of interpretation, another sentence may be cited from the same paragraph quote, The spiritual heaven, or the church, is God's appointed channel of conveying blessings to his people. The soft dews and gentle rains, therefore, of this spiritual heaven symbolize the graces of the Holy Ghost. Quote. Now, Mr. Mills goes on here to argue. That dews and rains may be emblematical of the influences of the Holy Spirit is readily admitted, but how the church, which had just been described as, quote, all the members of his mystical body, end quote, can be said to be God's appointed channel of conveying blessings to his people, it is not easy to perceive. The phrase appointed means may be applied to an instrumentality employed by the Almighty to bless His people, but for the same people to be the means of conveying blessings to themselves, or being givers and receivers at the same time, is quite inconceivable. If the writer had not previously informed us that the Church consisted of the whole body of believers, it might then have been conceived that the ministers only were viewed by Him as constituting the Church." is it true, or or sorry, it is true, we have a similarity between this case and the one previously considered. In that case, both the woman and the moon upon which she stood were considered as symbols of the church, thus furnishing the incongruous idea of the church standing upon herself. Here, the church is at the same time the recipient of spiritual blessings, and the channel by which those blessings are conveyed, or to speak in respect to the figure, the church would be the heavens and the earth at one and the same time. The inference to be drawn from this examination is that the method adopted by Mr. Faber is self-contradictory and inconsistent with just notions of scriptural imagery, and therefore cannot be adopted. In justice, however, to this learned and infatigable writer, it is necessary to say, after animadvertising so freely on his application of the symbols, that his various writings on the prophecies contain much that is truly excellent and highly valuable. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. So once again, he claims, no, this guy's wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It doesn't make sense to me that uh, these two symbols convey the same meaning. Okay, So because he doesn't understand what's taught in the mystery schools, how these symbols of the moon and the woman together combined can mean the church they can both be the church simultaneously uh, and represent that because you see it's it's the not only the physical body of believers but it's the the spiritual uh, reflection of the doctrine here when you go back to the ancient Egyptian mysteries and understand how this works in the symbolism there then you would totally pick up on this but this guy didn't understand that He wasn't looking at it from that context. He didn't get it. So he was missing the context. You see, that's why it's important to have both intent and context in the analysis of the symbol. Because if we don't have that, we're missing a huge portion of the information. And we may misinterpret the symbol. Or we may be totally lost by the symbol like this guy was. He doesn't understand how the woman and the moon could represent the same thing. You see. In the context of the imagery that was shown. And that's because he didn't understand the Egyptian mystery teachings. If he did, then he would totally understand what the symbol means. But see, he missed the point. Because he's trying to look at it through a lens at which the symbol was not intended to be looked at through. And this would be through the biblical context. Or the strictly biblical symbological language that is often used in by some. So he interpreted it wrong. <coughs> and that being the case, he found problems with it and it agitated him, so therefore he saw it as a negative symbol or a nonsensical symbol. So even though he didn't understand it, it still had quite the effect on him to the point where he wrote this book trying to denounce this other guy who correctly pointed out what the symbol means. So, that being the case, you see how these things could affect people? It, it could agitate your mind, a symbol by itself. When you don't understand it exactly, it can agitate you. It could bother you. See, it leaves this psychic impression on you, whether you understand it or you don't. And if you don't understand it, even more so, sometimes it leaves a psychic impression on you. It gives you an uneasy feeling, like this guy. And then perhaps maybe you read something into it that maybe wasn't there, or maybe you don't read anything into it at all, and think that somebody has done a disservice to the symbol in some way. William Jones, M.A., in his lectures on the apocalypse, gives his opinion on symbols in the following paragraph, Men must possess ideas before they seek words to express them, and when new ones are produced, making use of the language they possess, they are obliged to have recourse to such objects in nature as are known to possess qualities or properties in some way resembling the idea they wish to communicate hence the language of metaphor which uses such expressions as these god is my rock my fortress my high tower my shield and the horn of my salvation in such modes of speech the fitness of the figure is manifest and occasions no ambiguity But the original poverty of the language introduced another mode of conveying ideas, and this is what is styled the symbolical language in which the figure employed is put in the place of the object itself. This is a style of writing widely different from what is called the figurative or metaphorical. A word used figuratively may signify one thing, but taken as a symbol, it may have quite a different meaning. For instance, fire, taken figuratively, may denote anything that purifies, but when used as a symbol, it stands for the divine judgments. Thus the horn is used as a figure to demonstrate strength, but as a symbol it denotes a kingdom. Having once ascertained the import of any symbol or hieroglyphic, we must steadily adhere to that meaning and not allow it to signify this thing in one text and that in another. It must have a determined sense from which no radical variation can be admitted." So I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. So now he's quoting this other gentleman, this guy named William Jones, who's saying that, uh, hey, once we have this symbol, we must all universally agree on its meaning. (laughs) This is a pipe dream, folks. (laughs) You see, that's not how symbolism works. That's not how it works at all. So this guy has a very one-sided view here. And many people they like to try to place things in neat little boxes but it doesn't always work that way does it especially with something as subjective as a symbol an archetype a mythology you see all these ideas that uh, have a breadth, a breadth of scope to them right they have more to them than just one surface narrative or surface meaning And these guys are trying to put these things in a box where it only has one symbolic interpretation. Okay, that doesn't work. The Bible itself doesn't work that way. The Bible has many layers of meaning in it. There's at least seven different interpretations for every scripture out there. This is a known commodity by theologians as well as philosophers and scholars in, you know, the the biblical context here. Christian theologists, they understand this, okay? That these scriptures have layers of meaning and there's different interpretations that could be applied to it. So what this guy is arguing is that these symbols should all have one universal meaning. That's not always the case, okay? Now, there may be a specific archetype that attaches to the symbol and maybe that's what he's trying to get to but even that itself has some loose interpretation values to it that's where this gets tricky like i said it's it's like an art form to be able to decipher symbology because it takes a lot of practice it takes a little bit of intuition and skill and it takes a lot of reading to understand what have traditionally been attributed to many of these different symbols like what do these certain symbols mean on a general level and then you could begin to uh, apply breaking down different levels of meaning to them and once you have the generalized meaning then there's all this context that needs to be read in and the intention and these are the two big keys it, this is the takeaway here tonight if you don't take anything else away from this understand in order to understand the language of symbology you need to to, to understand two important facets at least one hopefully two facets of each symbol. Number one, the intention, and number two, the context. If you have one or the other or both of those, then you are in a better place for interpreting what this symbol is supposed to represent in that particular use of it. If you don't have either, well, then you're left guessing. And sometimes you could find clues into the other things that surround it, and sometimes you cannot. So... You know, these are important ideas, and the point is the symbol can still have a lasting effect on your unconscious mind, even if you don't understand the correct meaning of it or understand the meaning of it at all. It still can affect your psyche in some way, and that's why it's a hugely important topic. That's why these people, these dark occultists who run things, use symbolism so very much in the world around us. They use this language of symbology all around us all the time. It leaves an impression on your mind, one way or the other, whether you realize it or you don't. Uh, So in order to properly be able to ascertain what the symbol really means, you need to have those clues. You need to understand the intent and or the context. Hopefully both. If you understand both, you're on a lot better path for figuring out what the symbol is supposed to represent. But uh, it seems to me many people will spend time arguing, what does the symbol mean? Well, the symbol should mean this. This is what my interpretation is. What's your, you know, And we need one agreed-upon interpretation for these things. Not how it works, folks. Sorry. It's a pipe dream. It all depends on your background, your biases, things like that, too, as to what you may think this symbol conveys. And it may not convey that at all. Maybe something totally different. If you don't have the context, you're not going to know, right? And that's the bottom line with it. That's why some people get it. Some people don't. That's what makes the language of symbology an important conveyance for many of these people in positions of power. Because if they have the right context and they know the intention, well, then they will understand what the symbol really means. And other people may look at it and just be baffled and not maybe understand at all but still be affected by the symbol. This is how these dark controllers that uh, run things in this world, these dark occultists, this is how they operate. This is one of the things they use. It's one of their favorite tools, the language of symbology, the use of symbolism. And they, they like to use this in many ways, and probably the vast majority of the people don't recognize it on a conscious level, but they're still affected by it in one way, shape, or form. And this is largely what's been done here. But let's continue reading. We're going to just go a little bit further here, and then we're going to call it a night. While symbols have doubtless a language as they convey ideas, they cannot be said to constitute a style of writing. The writing by which symbolic figures are described must necessarily be literal. going to pause for a moment there, folks. I don't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be literal, does it? Uh, that's, that's a staunch statement. Let's continue reading, though. It may be sufficient, however, to... Sorry, it may be... Sufficient, however, to remark that Mr. Jones here conceives a different existing between the signification of a symbol and that of the term by which the symbolic figure is denoted when such term is used metaphorically. He maintains that the term fire, when used metaphorically, signifies to purify, but that a symbolical representation by an appearance or similitude of fire signifies divine judgments." But it is possible to show that the term fire, when used metaphorically as signifying purification and a symbolic fire signifying divine judgments, have both the same radical signification. When purification is intended by the metaphoric use of the term fire, there is an allusion to the process of refining of metals in which the dross is consumed, and when the divine judgments are represented by the symbol of fire, the design is to show that the wicked will be destroyed or consumed as completely as dross, or as any kind of fuel is destroyed by fire. It may be here remarked, that in the interpretation of the imagery of the word of God, regard must be had to the qualities, operations, and effects of the several objects used as figurative representations. Thus, in the metaphoric use of the term fire, the reference is sometimes to one or more of those concomitants, and at other times to all of them. In Isaiah nine eighteen there is a reference first to the nature or quality of fire, and it says quote, wickedness burneth as the fire, end quote. then to its operations and effects quote, it shall devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like pillars of smoke. End quote as fire has the power of illuminating, so it is sometimes used as a metaphor to denote a state of prosperity. Quote, the light of the wicked shall be put out and the spark of his fire shall not shine. End quote. And that's from Job chapter 18, verse 5. It may be here observed that the same principles prevails both in the symbol and in the metaphor. In the one as well as in the other, the representation may have respect either to the nature, the operation, or the effects, so that the precise import of every figure must be determined, partly from its own nature and partly from the scope and connection of the passage. And I'm going to pause for a moment there, folks. Once again, what he's saying here is the same thing I've been telling you. It's about the context and the intention. Okay? Same difference here. That's all he's saying. It's it's either res- in respect to the nature, operation or effects of the symbol as to what the interpretation would be. That would be the context. Okay? So what's the context and what's the intention? Those are the two key things you need to understand in order to Sort of be able to interpret the meaning of a symbol. Let's read on and we're going to wrap it up. From this examination, it appears that, in the opinion of Mr. Jones, the symbol cannot be interpreted by the same rule as the metaphor. This opinion appears to be founded on the assumption that a symbolic fire has a signification different to that which is indicated by the term fire when used as a metaphor. But if it can be shown that in scriptural use, the metaphor and the symbol have a similar meaning, it will then follow that the position taken by our author is untenable. He has said fire, taken figuratively, may denote anything that purifies, but when used as a symbol, it stands for the divine judgments. Now, in the following passages, the term fire, used metaphorically, clearly applies to the execution of the divine judgments. Quote, A fire goeth before him, and burneth up his enemies round about. Through the wrath of the Lord is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire, end quote. quote. Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among his fat ones leanness, and under his glory. He shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire, and the light of Israel shall be for a fire and his holy one for a flame, and it shall burn and devour his briars and thorns in one day, quote. It thus appears that the difference of signification between the metaphor and the symbol conceived by our author is not a reality, and that the figurative import is the same in both kinds of figures. Hence, It may be considered as a reasonable inference that the same principles of interpretation are applicable to both these kinds of imagery. It may be proper here to observe that this discrepancy in our author may possibly have arisen from a peculiarity of opinion, respecting the meaning of the terms metaphor and symbol. With some writers, at the present time, the terms symbolical and metaphorical seem to be used as synonyms, the phrase symbolical language being often applied to the whole imagery of the Bible. It is not easy to conjecture what may be the precise meaning attached to the term symbol on all occasions, even by some writers of respectability. Therefore, as the proper sphere of the term symbol does not seem as yet to have been very generally recognized, it would be improper to charge Mr. Jones with indiscretion on this subject. It must, however, be evident that in order to to a clear understanding of the principles of symbolic exegesis, each of the several terms employed in defining the various kinds of imagery should, as far as possible, be restricted to its proper sphere." And I'm going to pause right there, folks. I think we're going to close it out after that. Basically, what this guy is arguing here is semantics now. Okay, he's saying symbolic language and metaphorical language. Well, we need to delineate between the two. We need to differentiate between the two. And uh, there can only be one accurate symbolic meaning and only one accurate metaphorical meaning. And this kind of thing. So he's, he's kind of missing the whole point here. When it comes down to it, he's making these these arguments against these other authors, claiming that uh, you know they're they're not correct, that their views are untenable because they don't align necessarily with the one symbol one meaning concept that this guy was trying to put out. Now, not to say this John Mills, uh, I'm sure he was a highly intelligent man. He seemed like a pretty proficient writer here. He had some good ideas, but he had some very Uh, Obvious biases here, and he also had this need to try to equate one and only one interpretation to symbols or metaphors, as it were. And he, he seems to be very staunch about trying to differentiate between these different types of symbolic language or use of symbols. And metaphor, symbol, simile, all of these things all fall under the same category. It's all symbology, okay? The, it's the use of symbolic language, symbols themselves. It's a representation. It's, it's one thing used in a way that represents some other force or factor here. So the important thing here to take away from this is that the language of symbology, this could be a learned thing. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of study to understand what uh, many of the different cultures and many of the different uh, cult fraternities and many of the different fact factions that look at these things the languages, the etymologies of words, all of these different things, uh, what is the, the meaning that they, they attach as a general attachment to the symbol being presented? And if you understand just the general thing, this gives you a surface narrative level understanding of what the symbol represents. And then from that, you could break it down further with different associations and ideas that connect to the symbol in some way. Uh, like, for instance, a light bulb well, what's the connotation of a light bulb? Well, it illuminates, it gives off light, so you have this symbol of light. Well, what does this mean what What is light? well, light it counters the darkness. light can be associated with good, it can be associated with heat, it could be associated with intelligence or an idea. Do you understand? You see the levels of meaning, and it all has to do with what's the intention. And what's the context? So, if somebody draws a light bulb on a piece of paper or something like that, well, you see the picture of the light bulb and you're thinking, okay, light. Well, you don't garner any further meaning from that. Now, if you're looking at it in the context of it's a comic strip and there's a, a person there, a character there with his finger held in the air, his arm held in the air, and there's a light bulb above his head, well, then you instantly recognize that symbol as being. He has some kind of an epiphany or an intelligent idea, you see. And that's what you associate. You see how the context is important? Because if you take that symbol itself out of the context of which it's being used, it has a totally different meaning, doesn't it? And and this is the same kind of thing that goes on, and also the intention. All right, So it has to do with the intention as well. So that's the key point here. So for a better understanding of the language of symbology, not only do you have to have a base knowledge of what the general representation of the symbol means, but you also have to have a little bit of intuition. And it takes a lot of practice, you see, to look at symbols and understand the context in which they're being used and what the intention is. So intention and context when you're looking at symbols and symbology. When you're looking at symbology as a language, intention, and context. Those are the key points. Anyway, folks, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I hope this was educational and or informative, or at the very least entertaining for you. Uh, I do appreciate each and every one of you, and we'll catch you next time. Have a good night now. Coming December 16th, 2022, the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world.